Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSIP.com, and you can go to GetOnSIP.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.me on the web, is hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. been a long time and I tell you uh, we've, we've been pretty busy on, on our side so apologies for not uh, making the, the regular uh, VUC conference I've missed you guys we've missed you yeah so um, I'm trying to think I think on that last episode we probably talked about kind of the the pivot uh, away from telephone uh, into what we were affectionately calling Skynet back in those days skynet.im um, right. <laughs> right absolutely um, so yeah, so um, so telephone, you know, we we had looked at it uh, from from a business perspective. You know, I, I had uh, a couple of angel investors that we were talking. You know, I quit my job because <laughs> I said this is this could be the next big thing, and uh, we started looking at business models and what what could we do with telephone. And um, at that point in time, every every WebRTC service was free. And we, we we had some ideas maybe around enterprise uh, customer customer support and what have you that that sounded kind of interesting. But um, I was playing with uh, the the whole Skynet IM back in uh, the last quarter of um, 2013, and uh, we kind of talked about you know really the the what the analysts were starting to say about IoT. Um, you know, which which was all over the board. You know, anywhere they're saying, you know, and, and like by 2020, they were saying it was going to be either a three trillion dollar market or or a uh, what was it or 20, 14 trillion, three to fourteen trillion dollar market by 2020. So we said, well, there's got to be some some ways to monetize Skynet uh, there. So so we did the pivot, and uh, really glad that we did. Um, because you know we we ended up uh, bringing on I think in the early days maybe three or four people full time. Uh, the the kind of the sad part of the story is is the money guys made us change the name. <laughs> so so they said no one will ever buy Skynet for their enterprise. No one will no one will, will allow you to put Skynet into their company. So uh, and I think that they there was some fear of being sued by you. Although I I thought that would have been the best part of the story. Um, <laughs> So we we changed the name from Skynet.im uh, to uh, Octopus. I see Tim's laughing back there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's yeah, so we than, changed uh, it to Octoblue. It's better than Snowden Networks. <laughs> you know, I saw that uh, uh, Citizen Four last night. I'm telling you, I, I'm so glad that we've been added encryption to the payloads and everything in in, in Octoblue because uh, I think I think we need to get uh, th there's a lot going on there that that make it reminds you about there, right? But you're not yet talking Snowden with a towel over your head, Chris. <laughs> I no, saw I'm, that too. I'm it's a terrific out. movie. I'm living out in the public, man. I I I want I want to face this stuff head on and and see how what we can all do to keep to keep uh, making this everything more secure. And 
um, you know, Tim's got some great ideas too around around uh, the next generation of the internet. You know, peer to peer. I'm 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 believing in his ideas even more and more uh, after after uh, that movie. Hope I didn't was, let any cats out of the bag, Tim. But I, I, a, I love I love that story. I think that was a cue for you, Tim. But if you don't have anything to say, that's yeah, fine. no, I'm I'm uh, it, it's not a it's not got to a point where I can like you know, do anything with it apart from like do PowerPoint slides. So this really it needs to it needs to be a bit more real. And I don't have the time for that at the moment, sadly. I I think the the timing is getting more and more right uh, every day. So you need to keep keep thinking. That's actually cool. a very good point, uh, Chris, in that um the two worries I mean you're talking about all these little devices that are connected to your home network and how if somebody gets in, they could pretty much assassinate you with various <laughs> moves like turning your furnace all the way up. I mean, not literally, but there's, there are so many things that could be possible. And if you've ever seen the movie, uh, per, the, the TV series Person of Interest by any chance, you know anything about that? Yep, yep a couple of episodes. Yep. So, I mean, even if you don't follow the story, the opening sequence is perfect because – I've actually seen what they were showing. I mean, I didn't realize that that stuff actually exists, where you have the little square around the person and it can follow the person around. And even in Hangouts, they've got that recognition going. It doesn't work as well as it does on Person of Interest. But uh, all of the Bluetooth the Bluetooth hijacks and stuff like that that they're doing, in fact, I always laughed at that and thought, yeah, well, this is kind of a uh, – it's an extension of, of, you know, current technology – but apparently, it's actually not an extension. It's it's happening every day, so that's interesting. And if you have a well, bunch of stuff well, around your house, it's uh, scarier. I was I was going to say I think uh, it wasn't just like three months ago. There was news about the Samsung TV was streaming all of your audio into the cloud. You know, they were trying to make it you know passive type type speech rack you know to do things locally. But uh, yeah, that was a a great eavesdropping device. Well, if, if you, if you if go a little bit further to today's appliances that you, you have today in your house, like your television, your Wi-Fi, and all of these, they never got patched for two of the biggest uh, bugs that were announced three months ago. So at the moment, you can have a virus running in there uh, doing Bitcoin or even worse things. Yeah, did, did you see that um, one of the... Uh... One of the news reports this week was was they tracked down one uh, one of the major sources of spam on a, a particular botnet, and, it, and some some guy's fridge had been hacked and was was one of the major sources of email spam. <laughs> I just you know, and 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 you, it's exactly what you're saying. It's sitting there. It's nobody looks at whether it's CPU usage is. You know, forty percent higher. Nobody notices it. It's anything about it. It's not been patched since it was shipped a year ago, and and, and never will be, um, probably. And, oh. and and it's running some some buggy buggy version of the Linux kernel with some cruddy busy box, and it's probably got a a free backdoor for maintenance anyway. I mean, you know, <laughs> and I think Chris is absolutely right. I'm coming back to the topic. Um, uh, Chris is absolutely right that the security thing is for Internet of Things is is essential. I mean, I don't want to be rude about them because they were they were lovely and it's a great device and it's only a toy and whatever. The the, the parrot drones, the security on them is 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 um, hysterical. 
I mean, you know, literally, we were discussing this in the pub the other night, that it wouldn't be difficult to have to write a, a parrot drone which would go and fly and steal the others, make them flock yeah. after it, because yeah, there is literally that, no security. There's that. Uh, there's a Skyjack open source project that does exactly that. You could fly a parrot drone and uh, basically hijack the uh, the connection and have it follow your drone away from, from the operator. <laughs> Uh, so, so what we launched at Ubuntu uh, in the beginning of, of the year is exactly targeting what you guys are talking about. Uh, so we have a, a new IoT open source version that exactly uh, gets patched to this type of problem. So we hope that in the, in the future your fridge and your Wi-Fi point and all the other things uh, don't have this type of problems anymore. Uh, didn't want to... Yeah. So, um, so that, I mean, that that coming full circle, I, I think that's important, uh, Martin, because I mean, you know, we, I, I can talk a little bit more too about the whole OctaBlue stack, because there's probably eighty percent of it's open source as well, and there's a lot of security. Security's baked into the architecture itself. However, kind of back to what what we were talking about earlier is that our mission is just to machine to machine instant messaging connect everything to everything and and allow you to automate uh, these these types of flows to, to ease to simplify your life but the the manu your the manufacturers um, devices are just that I mean you know you're you're even though you're connecting them and you're 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 moving secure messages back and forth if there's a vulnerability in the device itself there's nothing that your platform our platform anyone's platform is going to be able to uh, to solve right well, yes. Well, if there's an app on there that is uh, that is bad, we try to contain it, and uh, the operating system uh, we can manage. Uh, but of course, uh, there's limits to uh, to everything. Uh, but that's where we would transactionally upgrade things if there's bugs in it. So I'm I'm thinking things like uh, Belkin Wemos. You know, I mean, some of those some of the way those operating systems are work or are on those things is. Is they're they're different for every single one of them. Their their security strategies are different. Their protocols supported are different. Uh, oftentimes, security is really the last you know an afterthought. You know how how a lot of these home automation devices work. Yeah. So so uh, that's exactly where we have focused. Like like and I don't want this to be publicity thing, but like we open source Snap Ubuntu Core that can put mobile apps type of things with mobile app type of app stores onto anything and can be and those apps traditionally are written by bad programmers or hostile programmers so we took that technology from our phone and now made it work into anything so so, so you are containing those apps so that even if they have problems they cannot uh, harm the base system or other apps uh, and and the way you uh, make apps is, is easy. Um, so, but uh, it is a problem, and we're trying to fix it now. Uh, that doesn't fix all Internet of Things, unfortunately. But that part of the puzzle, I think, is getting closer to be resolved. That's cool. I mean, I think think we're we're in the point, and Chris is kind of leading the charge on this, and uh, amongst others, uh, we're at the point where. We're starting to learn what um, what this this new landscape is going to look like, and and you know hopefully we can avoid making all of the obvious mistakes. We're going to make some mistakes, and in, and some of them are already shipped. So 
the problem is that your mistakes live for an extremely long time in in this world. You know, I can't think of the last time I replaced my fridge. Um, it's 20 years. So you know, it's not. I mean, it, at least my PCs die within about five years. Um, but the the fridges are going to hang around, and I've upgraded the OS on them. You know, so so there's a set of of problems that around that that I think are, are really interesting. And I think the other thing that Chris and I have talked about. Um, a lot in the past and maybe not enough recently is about how it's not the same security paradigm it's it's the you know we're not I don't want a password for my fridge I don't want to access my I don't want to give, be given permission to to use my fridge that's the wrong it's the wrong way so it, it's anthropologically the wrong way to look at it it's my damn fridge you know <laughs> um, I paid for it. Once I paid for it, the transaction, and I, I give it electricity. It's like it's mine at this point. Um, and so I think, I think we need to those sorts of ideas. There's a whole lot of new stuff we need to do in this space, and just inheriting our mindset from other device spaces, particularly the desktop, I think is wrong. Um, I like the idea of taking stuff from the mobile because people are very possessive about their mobiles. So something. That that's heading in the right direction, but you know, um, I don't know if you, I don't know if any of you remember uh, Hermione Way, but she's uh, she's working publicity for somebody who has a, a Wi-Fi connected bed, and and it's just like you can't get more like more mine than my damn bed, you know. Um, so I, I I think we need to you know, we really need to put a lot of thought into this, and I'm delighted that you know, particularly you two are. Are involved in this. And I see see Orla's on the uh, on the on on the call, but silent, or maybe he's just uh, sent a, a bot instead. Well, uh, Tim, I was going to add to that. So I mean, while home automation mobile is very personal, as you point out, um, if you think about like how the enterprise workspace is uh, moving in IoT as well as industrial, uh, now you've got millions of these these types of sensors, maybe on a construction project and. You, you potentially have um, uh, life life threats, you know, or, or safety safety concerns if any of these things go go awry, right? So, you know, if someone's walking, you know, man against machine, and and the sensors, you know, aren't aren't reporting correctly, I mean, you you could have safety issues, you know, in 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 a in a larger industrial situation too. You don't have to go industrial if you just uh, connect an intelligent light uh, at home, and there's a bug and somebody can uh, put it on 10,000 times a, a second, probably the light bulb can explode and uh, provoke a fire. Like, uh, it's, uh, it's not that far, and, and I think in 2015 or 16, there will be a company that will be, unfortunately, known as the first that provoked that through IoT. And we're yeah, going to I mean, just take hopefully. I was, I was going to say, take a look at the bulbs. I mean, that's that's a really good good analogy. Like the Philips Hue bulbs. So the way OctaBlue attaches to it, we attach. We don't use the Philips Hue cloud. We speak, you know, Hue protocols. We speak lots of protocols, and we have an IoT, uh, open source IoT cloud that you can put on a Raspberry Pi in your home. We have a gateway that you can tie all these things into. That's open source. So um, you. Potentially, someone could be accessing that bulb either through OctaBlue, you know, if they have the right permissions, or through the Philips Hue uh, cloud as well with the right permissions. So, I think there's lots of different ways to get to these devices that you know they're 
call it a back door, if you will. But I mean, there's there's it, it it's it's kind of back to that that initial discussion that it's it's pretty difficult to secure all angles of these devices because you, you know, I mean we're obviously focusing on OctaBlue and have no control over any other other access point to that bulb. Yep. Uh, now, what do you think? Uh, so, so one of the the nicer aspects of IoT is actually what can you do with it that uh, is interesting. So, uh, what we showed last week on Mobile World Congress is like if you put apps onto anything, you can make the stupidest thing the smartest thing. So we had a a switch that uh, basically uh, was just the cheapest x86 with six ports we could find on Amazon. And by uh, putting apps on there, we converted it in a robot controller, uh, uh, an IoT uh, device doing lots of stuff. Uh, it all of a sudden uh, was all join-enabled, could talk to your fridge and your television. It could talk directly to the cloud. It could do lots of things in addition to being a firewall, uh, had some F5 software, and was an actual switch. Uh, so, um, what do you think would be uh, the killer apps for IoT and, and both home as well as uh, uh, consumer uh, as well as enterprise? So, wow, uh, that's a really good question. Yes, yeah, so we were at uh, uh, Barcelona Mobile World Congress too in the Intel Maker Makerspace. Um, we we're approaching this thing from from kind of a, a I guess in. I was calling it an Internet of Everything type play, but the CEO of Citrix, we were just recently acquired by Citrix, I think has a better label for it. He's calling it the integration of everything. Um, and uh, what's interesting about that is we're connecting uh, smart things, wearables, people, and uh, APIs. So you can kind of take an IFT approach into OctaBlue as well, and you can connect um, systems. So so. Something happens on Salesforce. I mean, you know, maybe maybe it's an agent makes a sale. You know, maybe you could turn a little siren on over the cube that that made the sale. Some applause on the overheads, and maybe text the the manager, let let uh, him or her know that you know um, Cube Thirty Nine just just closed. Uh, you know, a thousand dollar sale or something. So, or just even even without IoT, I think there's interesting. Um, uh, uh, use cases that people are using OctaBlue for just connecting systems. So we have this this designer, and maybe I could share my screen in a little while and kind of show it. But we have this designer where you can orchestrate all of these various systems and things and wearables like all together. Sensor streaming that do different things like you know if your heart rate, maybe if your heart rate and your glucose and your whatever healthcare monitoring things happen at the same time. You know we're feeding all that data to Splunk. You know maybe Splunk could be doing some analysis looking for you know, maybe your heart rate by alone may not be worth uh, getting your doctor involved, but if you start attaching all these other other sensors, you know, maybe that combination of metrics is a concern. So then maybe it can fire up a go-to meeting and bring you know your two or three doctors that are that are working on those specific parts of your 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 system uh, together to, to have a consultation with you or something. Uh, I think it's getting interesting just connecting either just systems or things in systems or st sensors streaming in uh, and doing more more big data analytics and by no means have we we um, given enough focus on the machine learning side that's kind of the, 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 the next thing that I, I'm really interested in seeing the predictability or the prediction you know how do you, how do we make our lives easier 
I think is are, are safer or better. I think that's the whole next thing that's that's getting really um, interesting. Talking about that, like, what would you think? Because like technically, we are very close to be able to demonstrate this case where like you would wear anything that has your heartbeat measured and shared with like some home hub or whatever, and that home hub being connected to the house. So you come home and it says like, oh, Martin is stressed and he just came home. What do I do? Do I ask the nest to uh, make it warmer or colder? Do I want an espresso machine to make tea or coffee? Do I want to have uh, this stereo play classical or um, or uh, rock music? And what effect does this have? So that over time your house knows if you're stressed it can calm you down doing these five actions uh, and it gets immediate feedback without you pushing buttons. Is this the type of thing you're you're referring to or? Yep, yep, so um, exactly. So uh, you know, they, they say we have 1.9 billion connected devices today. I'm, I'm going over like, I don't know, Forest or Garden or something I, I saw recently and then they said in, uh, in five years we're going to have 50 billion connected devices. So I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't deal with the ones like like manually supervising the ones I have today. So to your point, they have to get smarter. You know, the the, the Belkin Wemo light switch needs to be able to talk to my Philips Hue light bulbs and and uh, you know disrupt that whole app per you know one app per device needs to needs to go away. And these all these devices need to get smarter. Uh, but, but do you guys re have any? I, I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. I thought you were okay, good. I thought you know. Well, I was just going to say, well, do I, any I was, of you okay. go finish? What you, I'm sorry, finish what you're going to say, and then I, I have something I want to interject that's important. Go ahead. So, so I spoke at SplunkConf. I think it's been about three months since that conference. Um, and one interesting thing was I took a um, so we have a gateway that that you can have in your home, but we also have a mobile gateway that lets you stream all your BLE wearable devices, you know, from a mobile device. So. I had a heart rate monitor on, and I was streaming my heart rate through OctoBlue, and then ultimately through into Splunk. And um, Splunk had Splunk was watching my my heart rate, and it had some saved queries that was running in real time. That had like a, we were looking at this, the Splunk dashboard, and it had green, you know, thresholds for my heart rate: green, yellow, orange, red, whatever. And as Splunk was seeing my, I started doing jumping jacks. As Splunk started seeing my heart rate change, it was making decisions in, in the platform and injecting control into an OctoBlue flow to change the lights in the conference room the same color as the gauges on the Splunk dashboard. So I think that that was, that was kind of a baby step into this. You know, what, what can you have, you know, the intelligence of a big data analytics engine do its thing, looking for trends and anomalies and doing, doing what it does best but giving it control to inject itself back in the flow where maybe it's automating simple things in our in our lives without us, you know, having to tell things what to do. I'm, I'm actually working on that exact system. Um, awesome. So basically, it's interesting because we're actually doing it from, this is an industrial place, so basically for the past year when I we started ping things, the idea was to take uh, machine learning predictive analytics um, and bring it to bear against something that hadn't, to be very honest, is an extremely, in some ways, archaic scenario, which is the power grid. So we're actually working with the bulk power system now and taking in um, some super high fidelity sensors that have been deployed in the past five years uh, called what are called synchrophasers. 
Um, and those particular sensor samples somewhere between 30, 60, all the way up to 120 samples a second. And we're basically analyzing the grid on the transmission side of life, not the distribution, not what you guys are, what most people are used to in regards to the poles behind their house with a, with a transformer on it, but literally on the transmission side. And taking a look at the behavior uh, of the, the, what these sensors are picking up and then basically starting to make control automation decisions based on anomaly detection, for example, of, you know, we're seeing certain uh, events transpire in, in the real-time stream, what can we do to change things? Ultimately, this is an IoT player because uh, this is the very first time that the grid has actually had, uh, the power grid has actually had a uh, wide area situational awareness, never existed before which is kind of scary to think about in the first place. But but the idea here at some point is that we're going to go all the way across to the firewall. I mean, right now, the, the smartest thing that on the grid or the one that's been recently deployed beyond the synchrophasers were smart meters. So smart meter saturation in North America is fairly high in certain areas, almost 100% in California at this point. Um, the problem is they don't sample very quickly. They sample that they're only used very for a very small amount of functionality. Those smart meters are basically sampled once every 15 minutes. They're only used for billing purposes for the most part. And uh, you didn't pay your bill, you're gonna get shut off. I don't gotta roll a truck, somebody doesn't have to go by in the house and pull the plug. Okay, so that's the only way they're using it today. But there's a vast amount of data in there, including real-time pricing uh, in those smart meters. So at some point, you're going to see the nest of the world. You're going to see the all the hubs that are going to go into houses. These things are going to even have the things that I'm talking about called synchrophasers inside of them so that we actually literally have end-to-end -end awareness of what's transpiring on the power grid. Without the power grid, so you, you got no IoT. Okay, so I thought it was an interesting way to kind of enter the market and kind of take uh, IoT from a different perspective. And, and the, actually, this is a stranger one. The first use case we're actually working on is basically identifying, and this again with machine learning predictive analytics, is basically identifying uh, geomagnetic disruption and its potential impact against the grid. So we're actually taking data directly out of satellites around the solar observatories, um, including USGS magnetometers, and basically looking for these signals of anomalies in the power system uh, before they completely destroyed transformers. So anyways, that's uh, a completely different look at it, but... Uh, no, I, 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 I think that's absolutely the, the right sort of um, place where, when the, when the question was, where's the, um, you know, what's the killer app, what's the, where's the money? And I think it's in, it is in that sort of thing. It's in the ability to, to do mass peak shaving, um, to do, uh, and also to collect data from one place and use it in another. I mean, you, you're saying that you've got this huge network of of, of grid, um, you know, information. Well, actually, that tells you a whole lot of stuff that other people would be interested in. Like, you've effectively got a whole lot of wind and rain data that you currently, the grid keeps to itself. But, um, you know, I'm sure there are farmers and water management companies who would be delighted to be able to know that it's raining now 100 miles upstream and I can start working my dams now you know because I know what's coming um, or a farmer hey I'm not going to irrigate this field today because I know there's a rain cloud coming in in an hour and a half time and I pick that out from the grid and I think there's a huge amount of that data that that can cross-reference like that in ways that are totally unexpected I mean those ones are kind of you know, reasonably predictable, but there's a lot of fun stuff you could do with, I, I talked to uh, a telco who 
won't I won't name, but they have a huge amount of rain fade data about their microwave links. And you know, again, the farmers would love to have this, but it's there's no convenient way of publishing it. But you know, you st stick it all on OctaBlue or, or some other network and make it available and charge some nominal fee for it because it, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. You're going to collect it anyway. Um, and, and that's, I think, that's really interesting. And there's real money in those kinds of savings. So right. I just shared my, uh, I just shared my screen. Um, this is kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where you can take. Um, We've got this designer where you can you can go through any any API you know that we support you know and whether like to Tim's point uh, is is definitely one of them. Stock market's another one, you know, um, and all of these these devices. So I could I could say let's check the weather you know every every second or every hour or every day and decide whether or not to turn my uh, you know the sprinklers on or something you know in in the yards you know to, to conserve money or. Maybe a smart city example. You know, maybe it's looking for traffic conditions. You know, before it it you know changes things with you know uh, rerouting of, of traffic or lights, etc. But you literally just just drag and drop, create these things. So this this particular flow is uh, looking for um, here. Let's let's make this a little bit more relevant. We'll we'll look for tweets about the VUC. <laughs> and uh, Ooh, that's interesting. I hope you have a sentiment analysis there. <laughs> Yeah, and we got some sentiment. So we're saying, you know, basically it's going to create a score based on the tweets. And if the score is greater than zero, so we're just adding up the words, then we're going to turn lights in my office uh, green um, and are, you know, bad. We're going to turn red or neutral. We'll turn them blue. But this is cool. So if you take, um, as you're building out this, um, this flow, we basically create this compute engine, this JavaScript representation of, of oh, hang on here. This JavaScript representation here of which nodes connect to which nodes and the conditionals and the evaluation, and when we deploy that, to uh, we hit this this uh, deploy button here. That spins up a Docker instance. Gosh, that was like two seconds. That, that spun up a secure Docker instance uh, in Amazon, and um, uh, loaded that compute engine. So now mm -hmm. this is running 24 hours a day. Uh, seven days a week, and and now we're we're able to to watch tweets, <laughs> or I able to turn my lights you know different colors based on what people are saying about the VUC. I, I, Extremely I, useful. Yeah, I I think, <laughs> I, think uh, I would like to speak to you offline because I also have some nice things uh, to that could uh, make this picture even better. So. Oh, you've you've got yeah, I'm all ears. You but uh, let's look. Here's a good reference, like Tesla. Um, we had uh, so watch watch this. So we had uh, let me create a new flow. Our CEO has a Tesla, and he insisted that we add the Tesla uh, uh, API to this. So if we come down and we say, okay, let's add. I think I have one here. Let's see. Yeah, here. So let's add a Tesla node. Let's check its uh, battery levels. So it gets current temperature. Where's the battery? It gets state of charge. Uh, we can say we can add this. So here's all of our node operators. So we can say, okay, add this interval thing. So we'll say, uh, or maybe schedule rather than every hour. Let's say, let's say, let's check the battery. And he he wrote this flow himself, which I was pretty impressed. Like you could say, uh, this is cron. So I I can't remember the the format here, but maybe it's like every night it's you know, midnight or something, however this works. You could you could say call the Tesla AI 
uh, add a conditional, say if the battery level is you know less than 50%, uh, send me a uh, text message to remind me to uh, turn to plug it in. Yeah, mm -hmm. I got a better one, Chris. Now, now add another. Take something like Tendril, which is uh, open API about current uh, power um, costs to your at your individual house from a smart meter perspective. So now, basically, make the tell uh, make it intelligent enough so that it understands that you're going to plug in and charge that battery when it's the lowest cost to you, right? And this is a huge yeah. this is a huge implication for the power grid because what's happening is is that. Uh, the amount of Teslas, you know, Nissan Leafs, all these other, all the hybrids that are coming in, or straight battery-operated uh, EVs, uh, combined with things like what, what they call demand generation, demand response, uh, demand generation being photovoltaics going on to rooftops, uh, you know, wind uh, power being generated both uh, on on larger farms as well as uh, individual uh, wind. Uh, the, this is causing great problems for the grid. The grid was never meant to take power in. Uh, in the opposite, and basically coming from you know a house going outwards. So you know, anytime we can get more intelligent, specifically about these end devices, specifically things like Teslas, etc. Um, you you know, beyond just the raw cost of charging the battery up on the Tesla, you're basically could be sending messaging back to the grid itself to tell them that listen, I am potentially going to be arriving at my house in six and a half hours, and I am going to plug in my Tesla. And if you look at it holistically, like within your neighborhood, they start to get a better understanding of what the load's going to start looking like because they have to align generation with load. So, yeah, I, th I think that's it's fascinating how this blends together. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's that's a killer app in in the near term. I I, I saw a great article about uh, recommending that Tesla should consider selling their battery arrays to homes. I think for just that, for like storage and, and off-peak and on-peak, you know, better utilization of, uh, of, of power. Well, they've, they've actually announced that business. <laughs> They're actually doing it. That's awesome. One, one of the things when people go and like, what is an IoT app? Uh, I, I always give a cruel example, but everybody seems to get it. If you have like a, a scale at home, you have a Fitbit and you have a, a smart lock, well, if you want to lose weight, put that smart lock onto your fridge, and your fridge will not open until you stand on your scale. If <laughs> your weight uh, is worse than, than yesterday, it only opens for breakfast, uh, lunch, and dinner, or until you get to your next Fitbit goal. People seem to get it. It's cruel, but it does the job. Well, they're going to do that to James' <laughs> vodka bottle. <laughs> So we, we were having fun at uh, in Barcelona. We took uh, the Mayo and connected it to uh, drones. I think I was calling this the killer drone demo. Um, uh, and, but you were able to fly fly a parody R drone with your Mayo without without any programming. Uh, so I mean, I, th I think really it's, it's a matter of just loading up this this uh, you know this, this this experience of Octoblue with as many different. Um, devices and APIs that you can and then let let everyone else have the creative ideas how to best and, and uh, this, solve problems. And this is where I think I can give you millions of uh, different classes of devices uh, because uh, we are able to put apps on almost anything that can uh, have an ARM v7, v8 or, or Intel processor. Um, oh, that's awesome. So I think we should talk together because I think this is a killer combination. It sounds awesome to me.
So the funny thing is, this reminds me very much of where where this actually where this community started um, with asterisk, asterisk being the the you know Swiss Army knife plug anything to anything um, uh, device. You know you could take a, a a bunch of analog faxes and plug them into a PRI and plug a grand stream and uh, all this stuff, and then you'd put put a bit of code in asterisk and it would make them interoperate and you could put a, a doorbell and whatever else into it. So I think I think what Chris is doing and, and to an extent some some of the rest of the you know the IoT crowd are doing is to, is recreating that sort of plug and play thing that asterisk did only for all the rest of the things in our phone in our houses that aren't phones. And that leads me to a question which actually Neil Stratford prompted me to ask about where do we think voice fits into this? Like we haven't talked about any of these things being voice controlled. Is that something that anybody actually wants? Do they want to shout at their fridge or 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 not? I, I'm I'm actually really ambivalent about this. So so look look at this uh, this flow I have here. Um, this this has a voice component in it. Um, we we built this in I think about 30 minutes. Um, but but uh, someone at Citrix was wondering, could we make the, the the conference room a little bit more intelligent than it is? So. Citrix has the same problem that everyone else does. Ten minutes before a meeting starts, you're fumbling with, with the phone number to dial. You're fumbling with getting the video up on the display, and et cetera. So what we did was we put a, an eye beacon in a conference room. When you, when you walk into the conference room, it says, oh, it's, it's Chris. Uh, does Chris have any, any meetings in here? It can call the GoToMeeting API. Uh, and uh, if, if I do, it could go ahead and start the meeting for me automatically. Uh, we just added a Chromecast node, so it could now uh, throw the, uh, my, my tab up on, on the, the, the display for me automatically, uh, start the meeting, and then start the, the call recording. And uh, at the end of the uh, meeting, it could, it could uh, upload the, um, the uh, audio uh, recording to share file and then send a... Um, a, uh, an email to all the participants with the link uh, of the call. I mean, if it had the dictation you know, capabilities, it could do the minutes with active speakers. So I, I very much think that voice is, is, uh, should be a part of this discussion. I, I wanted to mention something earlier, and I didn't get a chance to stick this in, but I, was, I started with you guys, and what I was going to say is that all of you here know a lot about this stuff and have done demos. Tim's done, uh, Tim did a, a drone type, it wasn't a drone, I guess, a um, car demo, uh, driving something at a distance. And this is all very impressive. But at the moment, the technology really is in its infancy. And for example, I won an Android, an LG G watch. So it connects to my phone, right? And about every three or four days, I have to reboot the phone because it stops talking. Um, now, you know, you, you may well say, well, this is a bug in the phone or it's a bug in the device or it's a bug in Android Wear or whatever that may be. But the fact is, uh, getting back to the great example from Tim of a refrigerator, I don't want my refrigerator to talk to anybody, not even me. I don't care you know, what possible gain could there be in a refrigerator doing anything. Uh, I realize that some people think, well, it could tell you, ah, but you're low on milk. I mean, we're human beings. <laughs> Thank you. You're, we're human beings. Uh, you know, what would be the point of life? What are you going to do when all this time of thinking about 
the serendipity of you know okay oh we're out of milk so I got to do some I have to cook something that doesn't require cream or what I mean there's a point where the burden to benefit or benefit to burden I should say uh, is lost so uh, this is all theoretical and we, we love this stuff all of us go ahead Tim I was gonna say I completely agree with you I think that, that the idea of of my fridge knowing what's in it is 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 useless the only thing I want from my fridge is I want it to remind me that there's a service interval um, right. perhaps uh, I want it to tell me if it's got a malfunction and I might like it to buy electricity cheaply on my behalf so if for example I've got a pile of solar panels and I'm powering my my Tesla battery with those solar panels and the grid is at a certain price and my fridge is thinking well you know at some point in the next half hour I'm going to have to do a cooling cycle I wouldn't mind if it was smart about that if it if it cooled itself down an, an extra degree or two when electricity was cheap because it knows that I never open the door at night um, that sort of thing you know if it can make a t make a 10 percent saving on my electricity bill then Actually, I don't care about that from my perspective, but as far as the planet's concerned, there's a shitload of those, excuse my French, optimizations that we can do and get down to, um, you know, significantly less power consumption by, yeah. by being, by, and not, and me personally losing nothing from it. Yeah, but well, just but it doesn't have, it doesn't have to tell you on the internet for goodness sake that it needs maintenance it can it, just it, have and, a, and, and it like, does. like your car does it, for the oil, and right? it does actually let, let me just finish that one which is it does have to talk on the internet because I don't want to have to buy my solar panels from the same manufacturer as I have to buy my fridge as I buy my car as I buy my battery the only way that 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 scenario works for me is if I'm in the, can buy them independently and for that to happen you have to have some external thing like an internet that they can t all talk over with shared protocols. Unless that happens, I'm tied into the Apple fridge yeah. with the <laughs> Apple car and the Apple shoes. Yeah. Horrible idea. Yeah. So, so the point I wanted to ask here is like, uh, what if you could just personalize it? Like, uh, like the thing that we worked on is is like apps on anything. So it's like your phone is different than my phone so it's not because you don't like it that somebody else m might not like it I might like that my uh, um, uh, vacuum cleaner talks to my alarm so that it only comes and cleans uh, when I'm not there and and doesn't uh, drive over the kids uh, and doesn't trip off the alarm or that my microwave doesn't have to be programmed when I put something in it that has a smart label and already knows how to uh, cook that thing uh, so, so, but it doesn't have to be that like you all get it or you don't get it. Like, w what's possible now is to say like, okay, I can decide to what level I want intelligence in this device because software is defining now most of the uh, usability of device of devices, and it will only go uh, a lot further. So, it will be about what you want it to be, not what the manufacturer. Or the walled garden that sold it to you wants it to be. Do you, do you remember the watching the Jetsons when we were all all uh, kids? Well, at least I was a kid when the Jetsons were on. Um, I was already I, an adult. Of, they had plenty of time to get into trouble, right? I mean, like 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 everything, like the the food was cooked, Martin, like you just explained, you know, the, the little pop out and robots and stuff, and they had plenty of of 
time to, to live. You know, just didn't have to worry about all the little the little little things. <laughs> I really think we have to stop wondering about the internet, what's on the net or not the net. Everything is the internet. The question is how do we make kind of security realms on top of this network that everything is connected to? But so, not on or on the net, everything will be the internet, and the internet will reach your house and reach you over many different networks at the same time. So we have to rethink the design here. There's not a home that has one connection to the net, and there's an inside and outside. Stop that. It's all the internet. So I, we I, I think, I think network design here. Well, I think the way the way we approach this with OctaBlue, um, the the actual IoT open source IoT platform that that OctaBlue runs on is called MeshBlue. Uh, it's on it's on GitHub. It's it's an MIT license, but it's it's at the core, it's a mesh network. You don't need uh, internet at all to run it. So um, you could have everything in your home just just connected and talking locally, um, but you could connect MeshBlue up to to the public. Um, uh, OctaBlue Cloud, and uh, then that's how you can get internet connectivity into it. Uh, take a construction project. You you could put lots of little mesh blue nodes across, you know, like an airport wherever you're you're working, and I think thinks you you could add value in safety and and machine to machine instant messaging all um, yeah. uh, without the internet at all, right? Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that I'm gonna have two devices, right? Take this one and this one. And they probably will have totally different internet connections, even though I'm holding them in two hands. For me, yep. as a user, I own these devices and they belong to my mesh. I don't care if they have two, three, four different connections to the net. Uh, that's abstract. I want connectivity yep. on, and I want to have control, like Tim wants control over his fridge and I don't want to hear anything from Randy's fridge. Bridge. I want to go down there and empty it together with him. But uh, I think we have to lift ourselves above the home router because the home router is not the only gateway anymore. And our users will see it that way. But all these devices are connected. Right? And now they don't care about how they're connected or that this little stupid thing is right now connected to a German internet provider. That don't care. I, I do want to challenge the fact that like uh, everything is all the time connected to the internet uh, as like a risk uh, because all the uh, networks are internet. Not everything is connected all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, but like I, I hear a lot of people that's uh, that are in microcontroller world saying, okay, when with IPv6, I can now be continuously connected to the internet. Well. Uh, that's true, but unless you have like a transactional way of upgrading to a new version baked into your device, you're going to have a problem the moment that there's a bug and some virus uh, is going to target all the devices in the world that you connected there with IPv6. So I I assume there's still going to be IPv6 and IPv4 here. Uh, well, the difference is that like uh, you used to not have enough IP addresses to actually make physically that device available. If you would have IPv6, any device in your home could, in theory, be directly connected to the internet. 
uh, and accessible. Like, and, and, and that isn't going to happen. There's no real difference between IPv4 and IPv6 yet. Well, assuming that you've got some sort of firewall somewhere, they're, they're functionally... Yeah, you have a firewall and you have the same firewall on IPv6. Right. No, no, but like, like, but I, and and what I'm saying is that, like, I think the people that think connecting everything directly to the internet might not see the dangers. I think there is room for gateway devices that like block the big bad internet from the light switch. If you look for the consumer market, we're way beyond that. Consumers are connecting everything to the internet because they want to. Yep. That, that's the service layer, and we just have to find new ways of thinking. As long as you're thinking inside and outside, or if you try to think a secure network, then you're dead. Network <laughs> behind a gateway is not secure. The, 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 there's a purpose for gateways, and, it, and it's really only for um, effectively rate adaption or uh, the ability to to translate from one radio protocol to another. One thing we haven't talked about is this, the Internet of Things has, has got this plethora of, um, of little radio protocols, most of which are absolutely terrible um, and that aren't IP compatible. And, 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 they're, um, and they're, uh, those things are, are really you know, scarily, scarily open, most of them. And they're squeezed into tiny amounts of spectrum, which the, uh, our, our masters at the MVNOs have allowed, and the spectrum regulators have allowed us to have. And I, I mean, my friends who, who spend more time in this world than I do are regularly now finding that they can't get enough bandwidth to run, you know, their little little Zigbees between here and there because there's too many other damn Zigbees in the space, um, or not Zigbees, but you know, other people using the same spectrum but with an incompatible protocol. Um, so uh, I think there's a huge problem there, and I think there is one protocol and one radio to another. But in terms of inside and out, you're absolutely right, Ola. The only border is the edge of the device. Yep. Um, you know, if it's it, it, once you've got into the device, you have to protect. That is the border to protect. It's the case it comes in, um, and and anything else is. Illusory at best. Yeah, I mean, we have to figure out how to build user-controlled and user-understood managed react of that, connecting their devices in a trustworthy way. Because if we're not doing that, the shit is gonna hit the fan, and we're gonna end up on tabloid. Yeah, we have to move. We have to move well away from packet-level uh, security. Uh, any kind, any kind of network transport, anything. In and that, that realm is something that's got to change because bottom line... And well away, yeah, yeah, well away from CPI system. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to everybody's point, I mean, fact of the matter is uh, what isn't connected or what isn't going to be, even air gap, okay, your air gap security is a joke now. I mean, because you, you find all these other entry points through USB thumb drives, you, you name it. I mean, it's, obviously that doesn't even work. Um, I kind of, the, the next realm is really... I mean, we talk about context in a lot of different ways, but, you know, at some point from a device level perspective, and I don't care if that device is a gateway, a firewall, or, you know, a, a, you know, a Bluetooth uh, light bulb in your house, well, there's got to be 
level of intelligence from a behavioral standpoint that it knows that th this is generally how I communicate, this is generally how I act, and anything outside of this is not normal. Okay, and, and something has to happen. I've got to flag, I've got to disconnect, I've got to do something to stop this from propagating. Um, and th th that's kind of the next realm when it comes to the security standpoint. And that's really the whole deep learning systems that are being developed, a lot of these stack, stack neural networks, and the idea that at some point you're going to be able to push this stuff down to device level. The, the intelligence at the edge, not at some centralized point vis-a-vis -vis a firewall, a virus detection system, whatever, but literally each and every device's ability to understand what's right, what's wrong, what's completely accurate at any given point in, in interaction with it. And that, that was I'm, I'm, I'm Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I've been playing with some very small experiments in, with those ideas with with this YoPet thing. I don't know if anybody kind of still remember this, but the 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 how do you talk to your parrot? How do you give them a a, a video camera that that is safe and secure that they can't answer, they can't reject calls, they can't log in? Da da da. Um, how do you do that in a in a sensible way? And 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 that's been a really nice way to play with this. And and think from the human point of view, what I discovered was that the, there's a huge power in an intentional gesture by a human physically showing something to something, putting something on something, in some way making a gesture that says, yeah, this is what I expect to happen, or this is mine, or, or, or making that gestural intention. And then from then on, I expect the device to remember it, and I expect the behavior to be sensible, and as you say, maybe there's some learning to be done about knowing what sensible is. But it has to start from a human standpoint, for certainly for domestic IoT about, yeah, this is mine, I've claimed it, and then we go out from that point. And, and that's exactly the kind of how we started, how conceived Skynet from the beginning, that everything had a UUID and a token, um, and that's how it authenticates with whatever mesh network it's, it's trying to, to talk to. Uh, you as a, as a human also have a UUID and a token that when you log into the platform, you're now one with the machines, and uh, you can claim devices. So you, you can say, that's my parrot, or that's my, my, uh, my talking pet device, and I'm going to claim it so that now I have control uh, to do things with it. And then we came up with this concept of uh, whitelisting and blacklisting arrays around roles uh, on, on, on UUIDs. So you can say which UUIDs can, are, are allowed or not allowed to either discover my my this particular UUID or uh, subscribe to or send message to or, or configure. So there's this whole concept of of uh, everything potentially could have. Uh, uh, you could you could set the levels of you know of communications with UUIDs and um, we abstract the communications uh, uh, layer from all of that. So if if this UUID connects, it says okay that one's connecting via MQTT. So Octoblue knows how to route a co-op message to an MQTT uh, device just by simply saying this UUID wants to send a message to that UUID and do they have the right permissions to do so. So I want to ask Tim, aren't you afraid, aren't you worried about a cat in the middle attack for your parrots? Uh... No, 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 the security is too strong for that. Unless the cat happens to have the right QR code tattooed on it, we're, we're, we're safe. Okay. Martin, um, thanks for joining us. I, I know you have to drop, and uh, you are welcome anytime. I, hopefully, James has already told you that. 
Uh, so anytime you want to come by and join the panel, there's generally going to be some space for you. Perfect. Thank you. Martin, where are you based these days? In London. Okay. Yes. Right. We must yeah. do something at some point. Yep. And I'll come to our offices there. No problem. Cool. Chris, you guys know how to reach each other, or do I need to email everybody? Or how's that going to work? Yeah. You, I'm uh, sure Martin you can figure it out. Me, uh, yeah, a LinkedIn uh, thing. So, yeah, we're, we're good. Okay. okay. Great. Excellent. Okay, thanks everybody. Um, well, we're on the one hour mark. That doesn't mean we have to stop. We have such a good panel here, but I would like to ask if anybody on ZipDX uh, has any comments or questions because you can do a star six to unmute yourself. Actually, it doesn't unmute, it toggles the mute state, but since you're all muted, that would have the same effect. And other than that, um, let's see. Any other unanswered questions from anybody anywhere? I'm looking over at IRC. I don't see anything. We were talking to Matthew from um, Matrix. We're trying to work out a way where more people can get on IRC that don't like IRC because that's a little bit of a problem, uh, especially the guests, although today I think everybody's on. I'm not. And Ole, you were able to join us only because we're an hour early. Is that the deal? So we need have something to thank Daylight Saving Time for? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the reasons. The other is my wife is working late, so. Ah, okay. That's always uh... hours. I have one question though. Uh, I mean, Matt, you were showing your phone saying UID, and we have a lot of applications now using our my cell phone number as the UID. It's quite kind of funny with uh, stuff like Telegram because I have Telegram on a lot of devices and I accidentally removed it from the phone that had the phone number, but my phone number is still my UID. Uh, will we be able to leave the UID and do something else? Uh, leave the phone number, the cell phone number that too many applications use. Um, I showed earlier this little thingy Let's see if I can focus it again. This is a YubiKey from Yubico uh, with NFC. It's actually an authentication key that I carry. And I have friends that use it with their Nexus 5 and Nexus 7s to PGP sign email and identify with the key. They just touch the Nexus in the back and everything is all set. Um, that's one way, hardware tokens. but. I still don't yeah. know. Well, it, 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 plugs, it plugs in as it plugs in as USB and it has NFC? Is that it? It, it can do many things. Either USB okay. and it works as a keyboard with a one when you press the little button you get a one a key string okay. for authentication, a one way key. But it also has NFC. And I think that's the roadmap for the future. But uh, Google used these kind of devices for two-factor authentication now for Google Plus and Google Services. Right. Exactly. No, but so, I, I didn't realize that they – I know they made those with uh, for USB, but I did not realize they had NFC. What were we going to say, Tim? Uh, I, I'm, I think it's interesting, this the, the identity, you know, who, who, how, do, how do you prove to your machine who you are? Um, that, well, that's, you know – I have uh, friends. In my case, bad typing. Well, yes. I mean, that may be it. And 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 and, um, and James used to employ somebody who had uh, had chips inserted in his fingers, uh, in his, you know, wherever, whatever that's called, 
that bit of his hand, mm -hmm. so he could open doors just by doing Vulcan mind grips at them. Um, and you know, so um, and I, I have I know somebody else who's very interested in the in the ring as a as a identity. And I think personally, that one like I like I like the idea of having a like the ducal signet ring as being the thing that proves that I am me. You know, I think um, has an NFC ring, but he's yeah. not here. It, it's not I, NFC ring is. Slightly too public. It doesn't have the right cryptographic properties for me, but it's interesting nonetheless. Um, yeah. You should look at the YubiKey Neo. I'll see if I can get one for you. Yeah, can I? Can I have it as a piercing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The interesting thing is also that some people build solutions where I can have one identity. I'm actually a lot of different people, as you've seen with all my hats. A new person every Friday. So we need to build solutions where people can have multiple identities and switch between them. I think that's yeah, the yeah. The persona part, the persona part of identity is a big, big thing that needs to be dealt with. It's not, you know, and again, here we're getting back to context, right? It comes down to what are you doing at what period of time. So what persona are you right now? I'm in the middle of work. No, I'm I'm out watching a, you know, I'm coaching my my son's soccer game, so my persona is something different then. Um, so that kind of contextual intelligence is like paramount for getting to the point of understanding how I apply security, communication, all the rest of the elements that go into who I am at that moment. And that kind of adaptive intelligence is, is going to be key to what happens in the future. Oh, yeah. Jerry, yeah, I, just I, look at I, the I, difference I, between go Gmail and Google Apps. Yep, I was going to say, Jerry, I completely agree with you with that. So what we chose from day one was that me as Chris, when I log into OctaBlue, I get one UUID. Whether I'm using this for my home home automation or if I'm at work, and contextually, the, the platform needs to understand maybe my, my geolocation or or where I'm at, you know, maybe maybe iBeacons by proximity, you know, when I walk into my office, I want all my desktops, everything to, uh, you know, maybe my Citrix receiver to start for me, lights to go on, follow me around, and, you know, as my car is, you know, coming into the driveway, it knows, you know, start doing some home automation things, I've just crossed the geofence, but it's still me, right? Context is, is, is everything. Well, talk to Hillary Clinton, that's not true anymore. She, you, you, <laughs> you, you actually need to keep these things more separate than that, Chris. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, but we also need to be able to leave personas behind to renew ourselves when we change roles or we just want to get rid of some part of the digital history. Well, or, or, or I mean, even if... Really, I want to be in control not only of my fridge, uh, but also my personas. And I think that's it's not even that simple, unfortunately, because if you're running a company, you want to be able to give a role to somebody. So... Yeah. The, the, the person who's currently operating this machine is in that role, but when you fire them and you take somebody else in, on in that role, you don't necessarily want that to be a completely flesh, fresh slate. It's a, it's a no, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's quite wrong. complicated, all this. Yep. Well, we, we handle this you know, uh, through whitelists. So my, our belief is that you own your UUID as a human <laughs> in this world of machines and systems. And when you come on to a company or change roles in a company or leave a company, your whitelists or blacklists get changed on what you can or cannot access any longer. But it's still you. Your home automation should still work the same. Hmm.
we should. I, I I keep meaning, Chris, to to spend some time talking to you, and it just doesn't happen because we're both busy in time zones and stuff. But we really should do this somewhere because I think there's a lot of yep. a lot of common ground we should be we should be covering. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a lot a lot but, of common ground. But we have to find simple solutions because re-signing stuff, people have been disappearing into that technology. I worked a bit with electronic signatures before I started working with Asterisk, and the killer question was an insurance company with life insurance was saying, well, we want electronic documents, electronic signatures, but they have to last 125 years. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, I, I, I stress that we have to find solutions that are interoperable, interoperable, but still solutions that people can understand. Normal users that wants to connect their things. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And yeah. Tim is on to something with his parrot. Go look at that. <laughs> So you know, so the way the way we look at it too is that uh, your UUID, Octoblue knows that you're a human, right? You've logged in. That that's your UUID. You're the owner. You've claimed all these devices. You own all these devices. <laughs> um, so so uh, I forgot what I was going to say about you. Oh, so so when a machine wants to send you a message, it says, oh well. Chris doesn't speak MQTT or CoAP. He speaks either email or text or push notifications or whatever whatever uh, facets I have coming in. So I I think it's an interesting way to to let you directly communicate with devices and devices directly connect with you and or systems. You know I think I think the day of traditional old IT where all they do is have programmers connecting APIs together can can I mean we're trying to solve that with with the the drag and drop designer too. So um, yeah, I love message, these signs. Message least cost yeah. routing. There you go. Yep. And and this world of sensors, you know, and, and, and to the, the <laughs> and the conversations we had earlier about uh, about machine learning. You know, I think I think as you know, big data systems start you know analyzing all this data, looking for trends. You know, if, if the machine knows or if the, the system knows that there's a, a motor, it's watching you know heat on, temperature on. And if it knows there's a fan, you know, in the room, you know, why why not have have you know Splunk tell Octoblue to send a, a message to the human's UUID, say, is it okay for me to turn the fan on? Maybe maybe after a few times of you answering yes, or maybe if you said no, it has to understand what was the what's the what's unique about this time you said no and all the rest of the times you said yes, so that kind of like the Nest learns. Um, I think that all of these these IoT platforms will be learning in the very near future too. Well, that's so, you the know, trick. Getting back. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean it's a trick. They have to be learning and start suggesting actions. But the thing is, there's a fine line between that and the need for privacy. Do I, I want? Know about sex toys and suggest that oh you seem frustrated today why don't you charge your sex toys and play with them I mean <laughs> some of the things shouldn't <laughs> be in the cloud right there there is a need for privacy by the way I need to connect some things here 
I, w- I wanted to, Tim, uh, you'll have the word next. I just wanted to come back on something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, because, for example, when we were out of the house for, say, three days, and my wife said, oh, she was all proud of herself. She said, I turned the heat off. Well, when I got back, you know, the heat is normally on to about 19 degrees, let's say. When I got back to the house, it was 16 degrees. Um, and my question is, and this you'd have to do some kind of a hysteresis uh, um, deviation calculation, but is it better to have the heat off completely or on a lower temperature? In other words, once you let the house get down to a low temperature, bringing this back to your thing, the fridge gets down to a very low temp, uh, gets down, goes up to a too high temperature, and you know, is it, isn't it better to maintain some medium? I mean, so you need computers to figure that stuff out. But in the end, I mean, I'm not sure there's a real net gain in all this, particularly in your example. But anyway, go ahead with whatever you wanted to say. Um, yeah, so I think there is a net gain. I think, I think there's a net gain because peaks are expensive to produce. It's not, there isn't a net gain for you directly, but there's a net gain for the producer because in order to fire up that last 2% on the grid, they have to fire up some piece of asset that they normally don't use and it costs them 20% to start it up. And blah, blah, blah. So there's the, that, that whole peak shaving is an enormous, enormous potential win, in, in, in my view. Now, I haven't crunched the numbers. It might not be big enough. It, you know, but that's, that's my thing with that. Um, we were talking about learning platforms, and I'm terrified about that. There was a really good article about somebody... Who, who has got rid of their nest because it basically went AWOL. It learnt stuff that was irrelevant and started being dictatorial. And she threw it out and replaced it with, with, with a conventional thermostat because they'd lost control over the heating in their house. Um, yeah. And, and it, uh, the discussion, discussion was really funny because it's talking about this, this, this. Initially, people would come in and they'd show off how cool the nest was. And then after a while, they started apologizing for the fact that people had to keep their coats on. And, and this is like, you know, some, oh, okay, there was probably something wrong with it and whatever. But, but I think it's interesting that, you know, it can learn a lot of these learning algorithms. I mean, if you look at the ads that Facebook show me, they are absolutely uniformly terrible, mm. all right? Yeah. So the idea that these learning algorithms are going to save our bacon and, and make IoT pleasant um, that hasn't been the experience for advertising so far, um, and I, I, I worry a lot about the idea that, that anything could predict accurately how I want this house to be. Um, I, I'd much rather it, would, it did what it was told than, than um, started trying to second-guess me. I, I stayed with some people who... Um... Uh, the guy would wake up in the morning and turn the thermostat all the way up so that the heat would go on. And he'd turn it like on 90 Fahrenheit so that the heat would go on. Then when he was warm, he'd turn it off. And, you know, it was all I could do to not say, you know, that's a thermostat. So you're kind of completely defeating the purpose of it, right? And uh, the thermostat didn't learn anything, but at least it could have kept a stable temperature. Uh, these days, of course, everybody's, I mean, we have a thermostat that, allows you to program night and day. And I think that's probably pretty universal. So, you know, we do use less energy at night. Uh, but, but the point is that the average person either doesn't care or doesn't understand. And either way, we're in trouble with that. So unless people want to go ahead and accept these learning algorithms and accept the nest as some kind of a blessing, which I don't see it as personally. I think the net, maybe, maybe the nest idea goes too far. And this learning thing is, is invalid. 
the the energy saving and the money saving thing, certainly the ecological implications, that's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if we could do that and reduce all these problems of pollution and everything else associated, that's fantastic. And if a couple, and if we can save a couple pennies, that's great too. But the the learning about, you know, cause, because it's a machine for God's sake, you know, I mean, what is it going to learn? It's going to learn that you do this normally, but it has no idea. Yeah, well, he drank a lot last night. So, you know, these people partied and they need a little more heat in the morning. Well, I mean, it's not going to learn that unless, well, unless all the devices are <laughs> detecting the alcohol in your blood and, and deciding that you could use a little more cold or heat. I don't know. Where are we going with this? I think a lot of... I think a lot of these devices are coming out either for convenience, um, you know, so so they're trying, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, for like home automation people, enthusiasts, they just want either their homes to start saving more money or be more efficient or be more uh, interesting, like like maybe my lights turn on and off, you know, based on what room I'm in or, you know, kind of follow me around or improve security, et cetera. So, I think you know data in the wrong hands. To to Tim's point earlier, I think is terrifying, and I think we need to find a way you know to to either have more control on these devices ourselves or 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 not rely on a single vendor to to uh, start start connecting all the dots for us. You you mentioned I think it was you who mentioned Chris uh, the Samsung television sending the data back right. And you know mm -hmm. that when you do searches, if, if any of you use Google, probably Siri does the same anyway. All of these vocal things where you talk to your, I talk to my watch sometimes, you know, hey, what temperatures is it in Paris or something? Um, and those things are all recorded. So you can go look at them and you can delete them, but they are recorded. Whether there's a nefarious use of that, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think so. And I think the Samsung story, by the way, was kind of a, kind of a, a FUD thing i don't think anybody cares or was looking at it and it has to do with only with vocal commands it is not listening all the time the amazon device what's that called the echo or whatever echo, it's, yep. whatever the name of that is yep. that thing is listening all the time and one it is sending the stuff up all the time is it encrypted is it saved we don't know um my that thing hears everything that goes on in your house my understanding is that Echo, because we were playing with one the other day, it, it listens for its name Alexa, right? So I think it's a passive, uh, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's a passive uh, speech reco device, kind of like your Google Watch, where you say, OK, Google, and then that wakes it up, and then what you say afterwards streams up. OK, Google, what is the temperature in Paris? No. It just said, it just said something. It didn't get it. In fact, never mind. Anyway, yeah, that's the. Uh, but those are all recorded apparently, and you can go look at them. I I haven't yet, but uh, I probably should. And of yeah. course, you got the false triggers too. So the Alexa, yeah, so we, Alexa we, we, might hear you. You might say anorexia, and it says it starts recording. You know, I don't know. Yep. So we we attached an Amazon Echo to Octoblue, and we were having some fun with it, where you can say. Uh, you know, Alexa, uh, turn my lights on. You know, and it would it would know uh, what to do. But we're adding the Wit AI to the platform next week, so I think that'll get uh, really interesting. You know, doing some semantics around speech recognition for whatever you want to do, whether it be you know as you're driving your car, <laughs> you know, having having uh, interesting conversations. Could be like an, uh, a warehouse, you know, where you've got your hands occupied on on various, you know, productions or driving trains or whatever, being able to have have uh, another input angle. 
Tim looks like he has something to say. Yeah, and no, I'm just really <laughs> glad you've changed the name from Skynet now that you're adding AI to it. Well, you know what's funny is that all the code still says Skynet. When you hear that, the team still thinks they're building Skynet. So. Skynet. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Only the name has All right, changed. so here's... You always need a killer app, so I'm going to let you in on one. I give this idea away. The killer app is the connected vibrator. What else do I have to say? Oh, so um, um, Hermione is also publicizing that. She has a... Yeah, that's, that's a... Vibrates. I mean, vibrates. the scale that tweets is of no interest. The connected vibrator, on the other hand, could be a big thing. Uh, I, yeah, no, there is one. Um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> this talk of uh, learning devices and uh, Samsung TVs reminds me of a story I read in an Australian newspaper some years ago, years ago about a TiVo that started believing its owner was gay. Do you remember that one? The, the, the guy had recorded a couple of episodes of Will and Grace, and so the TiVo started to think, uh, excuse me, started to think he was uh, homosexual and started recording all sorts of other programs for him. And in an attempt to convince the TiVo that he was not, he rec recorded a couple of war movies, and then it started recording neo-Nazi material for him. It's a true story. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, but, so, should... but Facebook's like Go that ahead, anyway. Tim. I mean, I get Facebook ads for you know um, gay Swedish dads because I have Swedish friends and gay friends, and you know I'm a dad, so obviously I want to join <laughs> the gay, join the gay Swedish dad club. Of, you know, clearly. I'm really sorry for letting your address out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that explains it. <laughs> Yeah, but they paid well. They paid well. <laughs> Sounds like we have. Uh, oh, that's Michael on uh, ZipDX, I think. I, uh, yeah, I, I dropped into an obtuse context in conversation. <laughs> yeah, there. really. You got into just the right place. Yeah, one thing we we've got to consider is what happens when all the, all these things go wrong because. Undoubtedly, if they're machine-based, they're going to go wrong. So we've all always got to think about what damage can you do when it goes horribly wrong. And, and a good example of what happens when it goes horribly wrong was Evan McGee's dangerous demo at Astricon. If you, you remember that, David. Um, and what he did is he built a, a bot that listened through a Bluetooth uh, light bulb to the conversation in the room. And the idea was that if you started to get a bit fruity and say the wrong words, it would start flashing the light at you to remind you to be a good boy and to freshen your language. But it didn't quite work that way. And so poor old Evan ended up um, swearing and beating up this light uh, in front of an audience, which then did precisely nothing. <laughs> and, it's, and it's on the, the, the video that is up on on YouTube, I think, on the Astricon, on, on the Astrisk, uh, yeah, Astricon channel. Yeah, absolutely probably, brilliant. Probably is, of course, there are other Astricon chats that include bad language without any light bulbs as well. Yeah, but for, for Evan to do it, because he's normally the most mild-mannered, pol polite gentleman going, uh, wearing his bow tie, <laughs> uh, um, was, uh, was particularly interesting. Anyway, so... That, 
my point is we've got to consider what damage you can do when it all goes horribly wrong. <laughs> well, here's something that could go horribly wrong or horribly right when we're looking at well, that's our, uh, that's the famous... <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's our, that's our friend She's a bad So let, let me see. How many, should we, how many of these should we order? They're only $99. They're, would you like the pink or the purple? Let's go for the purple. I like purple better. Complete shipping information below. And you link it with uh, Bluetooth low energy. Come on, read out the testimonials. <laughs> Why low energy, though? Why low energy? That To me, that, does, yeah, that kind of defeats the whole thing. I'm beginning to regret having done this. I, I, I mean, it's amazing. I, I sent you lot of power, a really, really pretty um, uh, URL of a grid, of, of like the geekiest thing ever. And you all ignore it. And now, now I mentioned vibrators, of and you're off like a shot. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> I know it's Friday afternoon, but honestly, I'm I'm disappointed in you all. So go and as an antidote, go and look at this uh, grid thing. Uh, uh, Gridwatch dot. Yeah, yeah. Go look at that. Oh, it's absolutely it's long, gorgeous. Yeah. No, no, just Gridwatch dot Templar. Okay, I, I I can put it on because it's a long URL to read. Yeah, but what uh, what is it showing? It's absolutely Hold gorgeous. You, yeah, I can't describe it properly. Oh, it, it is. Here it is. Here it is. Present to everyone. Here it is. All, All right. This is your UK relative. national grid status. So that is the current state of the UK national grid at this instant. So we're 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 importing how much power from the French? Um, yes, about a, a lot actually. It's nearly off scale. Um, and and so I, I love this page. I think it's great. They have I have a German one and a yeah. French one. It's knee deep in geopolitics. Um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it does actually change. Where do you see the French? Where do you see the French import? I don't. So there's. there's a, um, let me see. There's a top right. On on the right hand Nuclear. side in the smaller dials, there's French ICT. Oh wow! Well, Dutch too is off the scale. In fact, Dutch is pinned. Yeah, yeah. So is, so but that's, is hydro. But that's only that's quite small. The French one is two is two gigawatt, um, and that's that that so that we get as much energy from the French as we do from wind power, and uh, the Dutch Incredible. one is a gigawatt, and that's rammed up against the end point. Um, and the, there's this funny thing in geopolitics where we. We buy we that Dutch stuff. We actually sell to the Irish, pretty much. Um, and this, so this is kind That's of a healthy markup, I hope. Uh, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And uh, and and there you go. You see, we're still burning a lot of coal. Thank goodness for that. Well, yes, but I'm just. I think it's. I think it's a thing of beauty. And then there's a French one and a German one as well somewhere. But I love the. F I don't know how he's got away with the Smiths go. Instrument label, limited label on that. That can't. That's got to be copyright. But anyway. I'm trying to get these little small ones. Here we go. Okay, this is a little bit more visible. So yeah, Dutch ICT and CCGT must be what uh, gas, gas turbine. Yes. Uh, so the but there's two sorts of gas. There's one. Um, which is very quick. Oh, no, where is it? There's one. Oh, yes, that OCGT. 
that's the that's the, oh god we've got the 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 queen's speech is over everyone's turned the kettle on uh, the one oh. on the top right the one in the top right is um uh, very expensive it's to zero run. right only, now yeah it's it's zero because there's no national emergency it's um, only when okay so it's a fascinating little geeky thing, almost as interesting as as, as Hermione's vibrators. <laughs> Not quite, but very interesting, nonetheless. Very interesting. But the, the the vibrators, I didn't take the time to read. So the connection is what we what? know what the endpoint. We know what the endpoint does. What is there a controller or something? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's um. You do this at a distance, in other words, yes, or it's for distant relationships. <laughs> well, I had an idea for I had an idea for I had an idea for gaming that I cannot reveal uh, in public. But when we're in the mature audiences, maybe I can tell you about it. Let's get this back to only because I don't want it stolen, of course. Okay, no, not really. Okay, well, I guess we can maybe close. Um, anybody on ZipDX have anything to say? Star six to uh, toggle your mute state. Anybody else on the Hangout? If there's any conclusion, oh, Michael's with us again. On the, on the hey, Michael. Hello. Did, did I miss the bit where, uh, where Chris, you, you described what the status of Octo Blue Blue is? Is it open source or is it commercial now? Because I kind of missed that bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, didn't quite finish uh, the story, but um, it's probably 80% of OctaBlue is open source. Uh, it's it's uh, mostly MIT licensed, uh, so you can build commercial applications on top of it. Um, it it's a mesh network, uh, um, private, public, hybrid clouds. You can run it on a Raspberry Pi all the way up to a horizontally scaled uh, cloud uh, platform. We've got gateways, microcontroller operating systems, the part that's closed is the, the web app itself, much like the GitHub kind of model where all the infrastructure is open, but then github.com is closed. That's kind of how Octoblue is. Um, what we, we think we're, we're landing on two, two models uh, for, for um, uh, monetization. One is licensing. So if, if uh, TrueFund would like to run their own uh, Octoblue IoT cloud, you could private label it or run it in your own data centers. Um, the other one is, is around uh, the idea of a compute engine. So uh, you know, much like a uh, much like Heroku has dynos and, and you know uh, Amazon you know has has uh, machines you can spin up. Um, we what you deploy in the, the Docker containers that we run for you 24/7 uh, is is essentially a compute engine, and uh, we'll probably charge for different size compute engines by the hour. Um, but right now it's all free. There's over 1,500 users on the platform today in a private beta, and uh, building a lot of really cool things. And they range from home automation people to uh, enterprise um, uh, automation, as well as uh, we've got a few doing industrial like uh, power power control stations and uh, construction, etc. So a lot of interesting things, and it's all it's all free until we actually figure out. Uh, what what the price points and monetization actually is going to end up? Well, we can't ask any more than that, can we? So everybody sign up and, and get building things now before the uh, before the uh, commercial police come swooping in. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure we'll grandfather you know pretty much everyone on the platform with all your flows, what you're doing. So yeah, now's the time to to get in there and play. 
Yeah, as if we didn't have a gazillion other things to do as well at the moment. But thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. Adding another thing on my list of things to do. <laughs> Chris, Chris, uh, where, are you, where are you going to be next? You, are you doing any presentations or anything you'd like to announce? Any dates you could give us or places um, or times? Or? We're going to have uh, some folks in uh, South by Southwest uh, next week. They're going to be Intel's uh, uh, flying them in to do some some party things at a pub, I think, or something. A lot of lights uh, connected to Octoblue. Um, we've got a really big uh, conference that Citrix does in May called Synergy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't remember, like 10,000, 20,000. I can't remember the, the size of the conference, but we'll, we'll be all over that thing with Tesla's connected to Octoblue with drones, with uh, really a bunch of really cool ideas we're we're, we're planning out. Um, and I think we've we've got a, an events page, but we haven't quite gotten through. It's it's GitHub.com/slash/Octoblue/slash/events is kind of what what's on our radar, but those are the big ones. Okay. So yeah, this event that you just mentioned, uh, the Citrix one, sounds sounds a little like that science fiction novel. Demon or Demon? I don't know if you're familiar with that. I love Where that the guy, yeah, the fellow, yeah, well, it's Skynet, right? The guy dies, and he's yeah. got all these millions of operators. There's both the heads-up display, but the other thing that reminded me of what you just said is that they got all these drones and machines and motorcycles with blades or convey. You could totally in do on. that with. You could totally do that with with Octoblue. So we have an RSS feed. So in his book, he he had an obituary that that triggered the whole whole series of of, of exactly. mayhem. <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. Okay, anybody else have any final comments before we before I launch the uh, thank yous and so on for the sponsors? Uh, going once, going twice, going three times. <laughs> hey, Ole, great to see you, and great to see everybody, uh, particularly you, Chris. You need to come back a little bit more often if you can. We love to have you each yeah. time. Thank, thank you so much, Randy. Okay. It was so oh, I love that photo. It was so great to see everybody. It is. Let me you. put that back up for everybody. Let's go out on that. It's Chris Matthew with the VUC 532. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.